You're listening to Wait Your Scout with Anna Skipworth. Hi everyone, welcome to our mid-season special at episode 12 of series 2, so we thought we'd make this an extra long episode. Uh, This week I'm joined by John May, who uh, has so many different titles for the many different volunteering roles inside, outside of scouting and everything else he does. I'll stick with his official work one. Uh, So the Secretary General of the Duke of Edinburgh's Award International. Uh, He has been in scouts for a very long time, but has so many amazing stories uh honestly made myself a whole pot of tea to make sure we like i was stocked up to just listen to all of the stories uh i feel like i'm always learning from john whenever we have a chat i discover something new um so yeah i really hope you gain a lot of insight and just just enjoy the conversation because it's really lovely listening to john's anecdotes and there's always a new story for every situation i'm convinced so um i'm gonna stop rambling and let you enjoy so grab your tea or coffee find a nice quiet space and uh enjoy so hi john thank you so much for joining us on wait you're a scout thank you very much for inviting me I've been really looking forward to this interview, actually, when I asked you however many months ago, I was like, I've got to get John on, that'd be great. Because uh, <laughs> you just have so many stories to tell from scouting and working with young people. So I'm excited that we get to share them. Well, I'm really, really pleased to be with you today. Um, so we are recording um, well, via Teams today, um, keeping with our social distancing and, uh, you know, with lockdown and everything. So... It's actually probably made things a bit easier to actually find time to interview. (laughs) You're probably right, actually. Um, Although I do seem to be spending every single moment of the day sitting in front of a a screen doing teams. So um, (laughs) it feels a bit like being at work. Well, yeah, I suppose it's good to have a bit of separation of like, you know, this is sort of what I do for work stuff. And then when you're not in your office, it's like, ah, I'm home. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. Um, so, John, let's start with um, some of your, maybe your more current scouting roles. What are you currently doing in scouting at the moment? Uh, currently in scouting, I'm uh, the chair of Oxfordshire Scouting, uh, so chair of trustees, um, which is a, the most wonderful thing to be doing and supporting young people in this county in the UK. Um, I'm the president of um, British Scouting Overseas, so that's all the scout groups that are um, British scout groups that are in countries around the world where there's an expat community. Um, and uh, they really are absolutely everywhere from the Falkland Islands to northern France. Um, and I'm a little bit involved in uh, an initiative that's called Danbury, which you may have come across, which is about getting young people in tents. Um, out camping um, and discovering the, the the adventure that scouting can provide. Great and you've had such a vast amount of roles um, I'm sure we could probably sit here for a few hours going through every single role that you've had. Please, scouting. please let's not. <laughs> but maybe if you wanted to talk about some of like the maybe the more um, I don't know trying to phrase this right uh, maybe the ones that really stand out for you as sort of key roles within your scouting journey. Okay, uh, I guess um, I guess the most important one was being a Cub Scout leader in inner city Bristol uh, a very, very long time ago, um, a, a frighteningly long time ago, actually, um, uh, well before you were born. 
um, I was the international commissioner for the United Kingdom Scout Association uh, for nine years um, uh, back in the uh, in the 90s. Um, and um, just a few years ago, I finished my role as the vice chair of the World Organization of the Scout Movement. Um, wow. So I sat on the on the governing body for World Scouting for six years. Wow. So some, some really big roles there. And I suppose it's quite key to point out, actually, it's not just UK roles. You've got such a big involvement with the World Scouting Organization. Um, yeah, yeah, I've, I've been really, really lucky, um, and uh, and I still do a little bit, little bits and pieces with with the world organisation. Um, uh, recently, we had a look at uh, publishing for for scout associations around the world what the basic characteristics, the essential characteristics of scouting look like, um, and I was one of the authors of, of that of that document. Um, so still still involved in advising on program, and particularly. Uh, on um, on areas of uh, of I guess um, young people's experience and and empowering young people. And that young person focus, it's not just your volunteering and scouting that it comes into. That's also a huge part of your work life as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, it is. It is. So for for to, the thing that pays the mortgage. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I have a very pompous job title. I'm called the Secretary General of the Duke of Edinburgh's International Award. Um, so people in the UK will know the D of E, um, which is uh, a, a wonderful, wonderful organisation, the Duke of Edinburgh's Award. It's part of a global network, a global family of, of uh, organisations uh, in more than 130 countries wow. around the world, uh, uh, half of whom have uh, organizations like the DV running the award and the other half uh, they're direct that with schools and scout groups and others are directly licensed um, by, uh, by by the organization that I helped run um, and uh, yeah I mean I suppose in other in other organizations you've described me as the global CEO of the Duke of Edinburgh's award uh, around the world so I'm um well, I know um, you've referenced maybe on social media and stuff before that you were a teacher uh, previously. How did you make the jump from teacher to, uh, as you described, the CEO of International DV? That is like worlds apart in a way. Uh <laughs> well, I don't know that it is really. I mean, in, 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 I've, I've been really, really blessed in that I've been able to have a career that has allowed me to work with and for young people. Um, right the way through, um, and I think I think this year is something like my 35th year of working, something like that. So I started off as a primary school teacher um, and um, worked in a, num in, in a variety of schools around the country. And then uh, I ended up as a head teacher when I was um, 28 years old. Um, and for a, a very, 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 very brief time, about six weeks, I was the youngest head teacher in the UK, uh, uh, and then somebody else was the youngest in that. <laughs> um, but uh, I, in the second school that I uh, helped to to lead, um, I we got through Ofsted and we had a very good report, and um, I got called into my director of education's office for a, what was then an annual appraisal, 
and David said to me, look, uh, we really don't know what to do with you now. And I looked a bit worried. He said, well, we think you're going to get bored if you stay where you are. And normally we'd say come and work for the local authority because it was in those days that, that local education authorities ran government schools. And he said, but uh, frankly, we don't think that, um, that you'd enjoy working for the local authority. And actually, I'm not sure that we'd much like you working for us. <laughs> so I went, oh, OK. Um, and he said, and we could give you another school to run, but we don't really think that you'd want to do that. So we're all in a bit of a quandary. And then a fortnight later, he rang me back and he said, uh, John, have you looked at the Times Education Supplement this week? The Times Education Supplement, the TES, is where teachers' jobs are all advertised. Yeah. And um, I said, no, I haven't. And he said, well, you really need to look because there's a job that has your name written all over it. Uh, and I said, are you trying to get rid of me, David? And he went, no, 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 no. But you just need to look because for your professional development, this could be amazing. And it was a job working for uh, uh, one of the Prince of Wales's charities, charity called Business in the Community. And it was as their director of education. Um, and ever all the time that I was a teacher, I'd been linking what I was doing in the classroom with the world of work and teaching children about um, enterprise and things like that. Um, and I went for an interview with this charity and this extraordinary woman called Dame Julia Cleverton, who was the chief executive at the time. And remarkably, uh, I got offered a job and I became the director of education uh, and then later the director of community campaigning for the whole organisation. Um, and since then, I've worked in a number of charities, all working with young people as their chief executive, um, ending up 10 years ago by being asked um, if I would become the Secretary General of the Duke of Edinburgh's International Award. And here I am. Well, I mean, that is sort of like an amazing sort of transition. And so actually, you know, like, you know, going through to be a head teacher at 28, like that's that's incredibly young to have that role to then be able to, you know, jump from that into what you're doing with young people now is, is amazing. Um, I, it's funny, I, I, I've been thinking about this over the last few few weeks because, you know, um, being a teacher needs a whole set of different skills and being a head teacher then needs, I guess, some additional skills on top of that or some additional experience anyway. Um, and I suspect that a whole lot of mums and dads over the last few weeks have recognised as I'm guessing that scout leaders have recognised forever, um, that teaching isn't the easy job that people think it is. Yeah. <laughs> they're only dealing with one or two or three children, admittedly their own, so that's hard. Um, but the skills that you have to have as a teacher are myriad and really transferable. And I would say the same thing about being a scout leader. You know, when when you learn to work with young people and their parents and their carers and and you 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 develop those skills of helping young people to make decisions and yet guiding them carefully through that decision making, the the diplomacy of helping to explain to a parent why somebody hasn't quite yet earned the badge that uh, they've been working for um, without either the parent or carer or the young person feel feeling let down um 
that you know the 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 financial management that you have to do and so on and so on and so yeah. forth those are all skills that are really transferable into the workplace um but so few people talk about those in a way that employers properly understand unless of course those employers are scout leaders as well and yeah. where i was lucky was that julia cleverton now dame julia cleverton the person who offered me that job at business in the community her husband had been the uh, chair of scouting for Greater London North, uh, and she understood scouts, and she understood volunteering, and she understood what being a head teacher was all about, and so she was prepared to take the risk to give me a job and allow me to transition from the schoolroom into uh, and the classroom into into a different a different space. Yeah, and I think as well, like it's one of those things. Like I'm okay. I've never been very good with numbers, but having to manage like my explorer budget, I had to learn. I had to get on board with. Okay, I've got to be able to do these things. And now for my job, I'm like, oh, I can I can handle the budget spreadsheets. These aren't scary. I've seen them before. Yeah. But you don't always put the two together when you're actually even as an individual, like sitting there going like, this actually helps me with this. Like until it's sort of you're told it. You're like, oh yeah, actually this does help me. I think you're absolutely right, and I, th I, th I think what what scouting can often do is because it's so practical. Whether you're a young person or whether you're a leader, you know you're you're not just learning about things; you're actually learning to do things, and you're learning by doing. Um, and because of that, you gain confidence very, very quickly. Um, and uh, I mean, there would be, without getting into too much uh, uh, psycho babble about it. Um, <laughs> Yeah, there, there was a uh, there was an educational uh, uh, guru called Vygotsky um, who talked about uh, the way in which people learn. And it's really clear that what scouting does is it allows young people and adults to push themselves just a little bit more each time that they try something um, slightly out of their comfort zone, but not too far. Yeah. And and what that does is it keeps you in what's called the zone of proximal development. Um, and, that's, and that's where learning that, that's where learning happens. And, you you know, you watch, I don't know, a group of young people uh, learning to use a compass for the first time, actually orienteering rather than sitting in the scout hut. And you can see them learning. You can you can it's almost steam coming out of their ears because you can see it happening. Yeah. It's so exciting. <laughs> so John, what do you think has made you so passionate about working with young people? Because to do I, it for so long. <laughs> <laughs> well, there are lots and lots of people who, who've worked with young people all their lives. Um, uh, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm certainly not unique, far from it. Um, you know, there are generations and generations of teachers and youth workers um, who have done that. For me, it's a mixture of things. Um, I think, uh, I, I, I guess that above everything else is a belief that young people um, have within them the potential to do amazing things, but they often don't get that opportunity. And I, whether it's whether it's been as a teacher or as a youth worker, what I've wanted to do is to bring opportunities to young people 
who would not otherwise have had them to be able to reach their own potential. Uh, and whether that's been in this country or around the world really doesn't matter. Um, and that could have been, I mean, when I, when I was a young teacher, I, uh, I started a, a, a charity um, that uh, ran holidays for kids, some summer holidays for kids, um, for whom a holiday was a necessity rather than a luxury. They needed time away from, for, for one reason or another, from yeah. the environment in which they were growing up. Um, and you could see those children blossom over the course of a 10-day holiday, uh, right the way through to, um, you know, now being able to see young people in, uh, in countries in the world be able to access education that their parents would not have been able to access and um, potentially to have lives that are um, brilliant. That, that, that's what keeps me going. That is, yeah, truly amazing. Um, and I'm sure that's how so many other scout leaders feel, just, in, you know, helping their young people that they see every day. That, that is definitely what drives us, I think. I think so. But I think it's also that it gives me a buzz. So so I'm always a little bit, I'm always a little bit reticent. I'm not reticent. Um, what's the word? Um, uh, a little bit uh, worried when I hear somebody say, well, I'm in it for the kids. Um because I feel that misses half the story. The reason that I do what I do is because it gives me a buzz. I love to see young people succeed, yeah. but I have to recognize that it isn't just the young people succeeding that is important to me. It's also the fact that I really enjoy it. I really love doing it and, and I get immense satisfaction from it. And so, you know, I, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't want to paint me or anybody like me who who who, who works with young people as some kind of saint, uh, <laughs> you know, because uh, well, I'm certainly not. I guess there are amazing people around. The reason I do it is because I love it and because it, you know, it, it makes me want to get up in the morning and go to work. Yeah. And actually, I think it's good to recognise the fact that actually it's OK that it's enjoyable for us as well Absolutely. i think sometimes it's almost like you say oh but i enjoy it too almost sounds like a bad thing like yep. i love going to camp i love taking the explorers away to camp i love doing it with any section because it's fun for me as well but sometimes when you say it you're a bit like oh but it's it's fun and you sort of hush it down but it's but you see i think i think that life should be fun and uh and i've been really really lucky that I have genuinely enjoyed every single job that I have had um, for a whole host of different reasons. And of course, there have been low points, um, but there have been amazing highs. And um, yeah, I'm not embarrassed about that. That's that's a, that's a good way to lead one's life, I think. Definitely, yeah. <laughs> so, um, with those, actually, speaking of those like high moments. Um, lots of your roles have allowed you to go to some amazing events and amazing countries. What have been some of those highlights for you? Gosh, I suppose um, I suppose the greatest highlight, honestly, I can think of um, would have been the opportunity that I had to visit Uganda for the very first time. Um, 
way, way back, and some listeners uh, might remember this, um, uh, I, I don't know, uh, there was a, a, a project run by the UK Scouts, uh, which I helped to instigate, which was called UNITE. And it linked up the young people of the United Kingdom with the young people of Uganda. And young people in the UK learnt what life for young people in Uganda was like, and vice versa. Um, and the Ugandans uh, uh, worked on a big community project to help with two things, child immunisation in rural villages and uh, um, AIDS awareness at a time when talking about AIDS was a complete taboo in not just in Uganda, but actually around most of the world. And the folks in the UK raised money to help to support that work that the Uganda Scouts were doing. Um, and I got the opportunity to uh, to visit Uganda, to see the work going on in the field, um, and also to help gather the resources to be able to create the educational resources that we were making for both the young people in Uganda and in the UK. And what that did was it fueled a love affair with that particular country, but also with internationalism and the way in which we can all interrelate um, that undoubtedly changed the course of my life. Um, so, so that would be a that would be a massive high point. And I can remember touching down at the airport uh, at Entebbe uh, for the very first time and the door of the aeroplane opening and the heat of uh, an early morning in Uganda entering the plane and the smell of Africa, um, uh, which if one has ever been to an African country, there is just something unique about uh, the humidity, the smell, the heat, um, that uh, they say that if you get the dust of Africa on your shoes, you can never shake it off. And certainly I feel that. Um, and I, I know countless scouts who have been on international expeditions who feel exactly the same way. And we drove from uh, Entebbe Airport on the 30 kilometer uh, um, road to, uh, to Kampala, the capital. And it was very early in the morning and children were on their way to school. And so there were just waves of colored school uniforms. Um, and I realized that I'd come to, I'd just come to an extraordinary place. So that would be one high point. And then, um, and then I guess, I guess the other, the others would, would be, I've been, I've been very, very fortunate to be involved with a large number of, uh, of world jamborees. And, um, those have included high points and low points, but sitting at a closing ceremony, watching 40,000 young people realize that they have much more in common with each other than they have as differences and watching them party together and knowing that you have you've played a small part in making that party happen can't beat that you really can't beat it that's amazing yeah very envious of the amount of uh world scout jamborees you've been to uh <laughs> well yeah i mean i yeah, i and and but i played different roles at different jamborees yeah um and um 
it's it's always fascinating to to see the the organization of an event from a variety of different standpoints um whether that's as a contingent leader because i i led the uk contingent to the jamboree in holland um gosh i'm trying to think how many years ago that was years ago um, uh, and then um uh, helped to uh, help to to link the the world organization with the hosts of the jamboree in sweden um i worked as a gopher in chile um uh, i worked as uh, um, uh, somebody dealing with crises uh in japan and this last jamboree in west virginia i um i i <laughs> I was kind of had responsibility for linking the world organization with what went on on the big stage in the middle of the, middle of the site. Not, I might add, not as producer of the show or anything like that. That was somebody much more able to do that. My job was to make sure that um, uh, they had the right flags and um, <laughs> the protocols were all followed appropriately. And most of it we got right. Most of it. I mean, that's a very important job. If the wrong flags are there or someone's missing, I mean, that could cause a whole host of issues. So, uh. you know, it really can. Um, back in 2007, I was involved with the UK Centenary Jamboree. And I was the person responsible for um, links between the host organisation, the UK Scout Association, and all our international guests, all the heads of contingent. And I remember a, a, a morning when I had a very upset and very angry head of contingent um, coming to see me because the flag of her country wasn't being flown in the central arena. And uh, the fact that it wasn't there meant an immense amount um, negatively uh, because the identity of her country or her territory was not being recognized um, and sometimes we can we can joke slightly about the protocols mm. and the importance of, of various bits and pieces but actually they really do matter because they they sum up the identity of an individual nation and its pride and the way in which it holds itself throughout the rest of the world. This country was Macau. Now Macau is a is a special um, uh, uh, territory of China and therefore is not a country recognized by the UN and so uh, was not recognized at that time within the world organization as being allowed to have its its flag flying in the in the middle of the in, in, it was able to fly in other parts of the site but not not at the at the main uh, at the main arena and that 20 minute half hour conversation led me to realize that there was an enormous injustice because there were certain countries in the world sorry certain territories in the world where full membership of the world organization of scouting was closed to them because they weren't a country recognized by the United Nations. So when I was on the World Scout Committee, I worked extremely hard 
with a number of others to change the rules so that we could recognize territories as members as well as individual countries and i'm glad to say that macau is now a full um, and active member of the world organization of the scout movement as a result of um, a half hour conversation with an commissioner who was livid <laughs> but it's, it's amazing that those things can can lead to so much change like one conversation to something you may not have been aware of has meant that actually you know you were able to help make a bigger change that would impact more territories not just Macau so yeah you're right you're absolutely right yeah that, that is truly amazing um, so just going back to some of your scouting memories rather than some of maybe the big events what do you think as a young person when you were in scouting are some of the biggest things you've been able to take away and sort of carry with you now well I, I guess I guess there are two things in there linked um the, the I, what I learned in scouting as a very young person was I hope that leadership is not about being at the front and screaming and shouting but is a much more nuanced and sophisticated thing I um, I was a scout in Gloucestershire and um, I was not a particularly good scout um, I, I, as a kid I was dyspraxic and so consequently um, was very well it wasn't called dyspraxic then it was called clumsy um, so I couldn't tie my own shoelaces and um, I certainly couldn't I had no fine motor skills um, and they're still quite poor uh, but I had the most amazing uh, patrol leader um, and one day we were uh, we were wandering um, uh, doing a um, uh, doing a, a practice hike um, and um, each of us in the patrol had the opportunity to take the compass and the map and uh, and try and lead the rest of the patrol and uh, it got to my turn and I got the patrol completely lost I mean just utterly and completely lost I had no idea what I was doing and Christopher who was my PL could uh, have uh, made himself look very popular in front of the rest of the patrol by just laughing at me um, but he didn't what he did was he when nobody else was looking reached over my shoulder pointed at where we were on the map readjusted the compass so that it was properly oriented and pointed me in the right direction to lead everybody back to where we should be and it was at that moment through i suspect a cloud of of, of tears of frustration and joy and and appreciation that i realized that leadership is a very very special thing that you you operate um at a moment and it can have a profound effect on those around you and christopher had that effect on me um, and I've remembered that, and I, I guess I was 13, um, maybe even 12. Uh, and uh, I, I've remembered that for the rest of my life. Um, I would love to tell you that I knew what Christopher was doing now and that we are still in contact. And sadly, I don't. I have, I have no, no feel. But I do know that what I learned from him at, um, at, at, at what is now the Stroud Valley Scout Group um 
uh, in Dorsetshire in Stroudon Tepri district uh, started me on a on a course that um, that I'm very pleased that I followed. And then I suppose the second thing would be would be I, I became a Cub Scout leader uh, uh, when I was 18 um, in my first year at university in order to do the service part of uh, the voluntary service part of my Gold Duke of Edinburgh's award. Um, and I worked with a group of uh, cubs in, um, in in St Paul's in Eastern in Bristol. And for those people who know that part of part of Bristol, they'll know that it's um, it's it, it 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 has it has its challenges. Um, and at the time, it had enormous challenges in terms of race riots. Uh, and um, I was very lucky to work with some amazing young people and their parents, um, and to take kids camping who had never been out of the estate in which they lived in inner city Bristol. Um, and I can still remember um, uh, Jake looking at a cow on Minchinhampton Common and me explaining that the milk for his cornflakes came out of that and him not having milk on his cornflakes for the rest of the camp. <laughs> so disgusted. Um, so there's 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 two two moments of uh, of, of real scouting for you. <laughs> That's brilliant. Um, I think we've all got a bit of a story about a scout who didn't realise what came from what animal, or able to identify what animal. Uh, <laughs> You're so right. <laughs> Generally, had one in the Lake District when we got to this top of the hill, and I've been talking to the guy who was leading the activity um, about some of the stuff he does with inner city kids who don't get out in the countryside one of my scouts genuinely pointed to a goat and said oh it's a horse and it was the most perfect timing for what we really? talked about it's like no charlie that's a goat and he was like really and he genuinely had to look again and check and i sort of look and was like oh yeah that isn't a horse is it so <laughs> excellent now john i know we talked a lot about uh, scouting and uh, your work so what do you do when you're not scouting <laughs> <laughs> the, the hour and a half a week that we all get off oh uh, yeah, yeah that's right yes when they said it was only an hour a week what they meant was you get an hour off um <laughs> i don't think that's true either incidentally um what do i do i love to go to the theater um so i'm uh I, i'm i'm involved uh in a variety of different ways with with three theaters in the country um, uh, the Royal Shakespeare Company up in Stratford, um, uh, our own local theatre in Oxford, uh, which is called the Oxford Playhouse, and um, a theatre in uh, in London called Above the Stag, uh, uh, which is uh, an LGBT theatre um, where I'm a, I'm a patron of it. Um, uh, so uh, yeah, I like to like to support support theatre uh, 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 and um, and the performing arts. Um, I. Uh, spend quite a lot of my time, um, uh, spare time, um, supporting charities uh, here in Oxfordshire. So I, 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 uh, I mentor um, uh, chief executives of small charities and help them to, um, to to see the change that they can make and deal with some of the business uh, problems that they encounter. Um, and uh, relatively recently, um, I was uh, I was made what's called a deputy lieutenant in Oxfordshire. The deputy lieutenant is um, one of the Lord Lieutenant's deputies, 
Um, and that brings a whole set of exciting responsibilities from laying wreaths and taking salutes at Remembrance Day services through to, I think, possibly the most privileged role that I have and will ever have, which is that three or four times a year, I get to hear the uh, and receive the oath of allegiance that new citizens of the United Kingdom make. Um, and I get to welcome them on behalf of Her Majesty the Queen as new citizens of the UK. And every single one of those ceremonies, and we hold them here in Oxfordshire, we hold, we hold them in our county hall. Um, every single one is uh, an experience of immense joy. You know, some of those people have made decisions purely uh, in order to uh, ensure that they can stay in this country and it's, it's kind of a piece of bureaucracy. But for others, becoming a British citizen is the end of a very challenging and often very painful journey uh, from countries that they did not wish to leave but were forced to do so. Um, and to allow and see the permanence that is now entering those people's lives in, in lives that could have been very challenged and feeling very precarious, um, that's an immense privilege. Wow. That's amazing. And also quite a lot that you get up to. <laughs> Be prepared. Brilliant. So, um, John, as part of our Be Prepared uh, segment of the podcast, um, Phoebe Smith asked the question, where is the most extreme place you have ever slept? Yeah, well, I have to think about that. And I guess the answer has to be um, halfway up uh, the mountain um, or the, the foothills of the, the Himalayas uh, on the way to Everest Base Camp. Um, so I've never been to Everest Base Camp. We didn't go that far, um, but uh, just uh, just beyond uh, Tangochi um, uh, Temple uh, would be would undoubtedly be the place that would be the the, the most extreme. Um, uh, I was with a group of of young people who were uh, trekking from New Zealand, um, and they were doing their Gold Duke of Edinburgh exploration. Um, uh, as part of this uh, experience. And I was there uh, as part of the support team um, that were, of course, you know, uh, as, as one does with, with DOV, uh, monitoring and supporting from afar. Of course, the rules are a little bit different if you're at altitude and um, it's not quite the same as, as, as doing, you know, a walk in the Cheviots. Um, uh, but uh, the, the really amazing thing was we, we went to bed and woke up to discover snow. And a lot of these young New Zealanders were from a part of New Zealand that had not seen very much snow. And so that was pretty exciting. Um, uh, and uh, teenagers who haven't seen much snow, seeing snow first thing in the morning, um, it sort of turns them from being very sophisticated teenagers into being um, eight-year-olds again. <laughs> it's lovely, lovely to see. So there you are. That's that, that's that's my answer to Phoebe. Brilliant. And John, what is your question for our next guest? So I would be wanting to ask 
your next guest, whoever that might be, um, where's the most extraordinary place that they've been in the world? That's a good one. John, uh, I'm guessing yours might be uh, Uganda, as we've already spoken about that. Is there anywhere else you might uh, describe as extraordinary? Um, gosh. Yeah, I guess I, I, for a very different reason. Um, uh, I, 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 Moscow was pretty strange. I went to Moscow immediately after Perestroika and Glasnost. Um, for the UK Scouts uh, and uh, I went to stay with um, a family whose son had started scouting um, because as you probably know um, uh, during com the communist era scouting was banned in, in, yeah. in the whole of the Soviet Union in fact generally speaking in any totalitarian state you'll discover that scouting is banned immediately because we don't want young people to make decisions for themselves and empowered and take control of their lives uh obviously um uh so uh so sasha had started a scout group and the reason that i w went to moscow was in my suitcase i had about a hundred copies of scouting for boys translated into russian wow. which had been paid for by uh, the boy scouts of america and by uh british scouts as well why they wanted copies of Scouting for Boys and not something a bit more up to date, I don't know, but that's what they really needed. And I stayed for I stayed for, for ten days in Moscow in a with Sasha and his family um, in a little apartment, and um, uh, I don't know. I discovered Scouting at, truly at the grassroots because here was here was a young person and his friends with no adult support deciding that wanted that what they wanted to do was to to start scouting and of course you know a little bit of me was thinking well that's exactly what happened in 1908 uh you know young people gathering together on street corners and forming patrols and forming troops and then finding an adult to to be their leader not the other way around um uh, uh and i i was yeah i i had i had an amazing 10 days living off uh, cucumbers and tomatoes because that's all we could get hold of um there was nothing else in the shops um so i lost a lot of weight uh which was very good for me um and i remember going on a wide game on the um he and his friends organized uh on the uh, uh on the metro on the underground system um and of course the the the, the writing is all in cyrillic so you, you i couldn't understand anything and they thought it would be a very very amusing joke to see what happens if you lost the uk's international commissioner um, uh, uh and uh Sure enough, they, they did. And I was truly terrified because I had no idea where I was or how to get home long before the days of mobile phones or anything like that. And then yeah. there's this giggle from around a, a, a pillar as Sasha and his mates came and saved me. Um, uh, but I guess I, I for the first time in my life, I realized what it's like to be a six year old beaver scout lost and on camp. Um, yes. <laughs> it, it was the same sort of feeling. Uh, what was really amazing about Sasha was that I met him next um, in a field in the Netherlands when he was the patrol leader of one of the patrols of Russian scouts who were coming to the World Scout Jamboree uh, for the and, and Russia was being represented for the first time in goodness knows how many years. So that was that was pretty exciting. That is, yeah, that is pretty uh, pretty exciting and memorable uh, trip for sure.
be prepared. Uh, well, John, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. It's been absolutely amazing talking to you and hearing your stories. Um, how could people find out a bit more about some of the charities you work with or any information about you if they want to? Uh, I guess, uh, well, I mean, first of all, thanks, for, thanks, for, thanks again for inviting me because it's been an absolute blast. I've absolutely loved talking to you. Um, uh, you can find me on uh, you can find me on social media generally um, if you look for John C C May, J O H N C C May. Um, uh, so you can find me on Facebook, you can find me on uh, Instagram uh, and on Twitter. Uh, I have no idea how TikTok works, uh, so <laughs> that's not going to happen. Um, and then I have a I have a website uh, which is uh, johnccmay.net. Uh, and uh, you can read my blog there and find links to all the charities that I uh, work with and support. Brilliant. Uh, and obviously they can see uh, updates of uh, Ben the Bear, who I am absolutely loving on Facebook. Oh, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, Ben the Bear during lockdown. lockdown. Um, yeah, he, um, he, he's, he's enjoying thoroughly the opportunity to be a social media star. And people, people who haven't seen that will have no idea what we're talking about. Not at all, but uh, yeah, definitely one to check out. <laughs> John, thank you again so much. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. And for me too. See, John's stories always just make me take a step back and, and go, oh, that's really interesting. I never thought of things that way. Or I've never looked at it in that kind of perspective. And the fact that, John always kind of makes it okay to keep learning. That's one thing I've definitely taken away from that interview that actually you're not always going to get it right, but taking that step back to learn and correct mistakes is something that we all need to do. And that leads me on to this next point. Um, I've definitely had to take a step back and do some educating. And I'm very grateful to some of the friends that I have that have been able to turn to and say, like, look, I need to educate myself more on this matter. Um, so, as, and actually after the Scouts, um, in the UK's own statement on um, Black Lives Matter, I've realised that actually I have been unconsciously biased on the people that I've interviewed and want to correct that. I want to make this podcast a place for anyone and everyone within scouting so uh, please do get in touch with me i will also make more of an effort to reach out to more people to make this podcast more representative of the entirety of scouting uh, thank you to everyone that has filled in the contact form on the website um waityourascout.wordpress.com um thank you to everyone that has you'll be getting an email very shortly uh saying hey can we do an interview but uh, yes i do need to make sure that everyone feels represented on this podcast and it's more reflective and that's something i will definitely be working on more uh, not just within the podcast but within scouting and my own life in general because it's something that i think it's 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 easy to neglect and it's not enough just to be not racist we need to make sure we are anti and making sure that people feel represented in all spaces and this is one where i feel like i've let people down so i will be doing my best to rectify that and make sure that people feel represented um so apologies and moving forward that's what i'll be looking to do um on that note i hope everyone uh, has been looking after themselves has been taking time out to care for themselves as well because 
the situation across the globe has not been well as some of my friends have been saying you know it feels a bit like everything's just gone out the window this year um so please make sure you are looking after yourselves uh, it can be tiring sitting in front of a computer all day doing your zoom meetings and a million one scout meetings um because it does feel like i feel like i'm doing more than ever so um do take time out for yourself uh look after you and your loved ones stay safe and um yeah just wishing you all the best um yeah so uh, i hope you've enjoyed our mid-season special uh our extra long interview with john and i'm just making it longer still talking i really need to find other people to talk to than myself on this podcast um so uh yeah we will be back in two weeks with another episode um there are lots of events going on i know uh uk scouting has its um weekend um a great indoor weekender um i think i've got the name right i've probably got it wrong but hey ho that's happening also it's pride month so happy pride everyone and um i know scoutadelic uk scouting uh, lots of countries are doing sort of virtual pride stuff um so do keep an eye out for those and uh yeah hopefully i will speak to you all very soon so yeah thanks guys Thanks for listening to Wait You're a Scout with Anna Skipworth. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Wait You're a Scout. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe.